Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. So you are not called to give testimony to things you don't know about. If he asks you a question and you don't know, the honest answer is, I don't know. But I know we can call my pastor and find out. Amen. Only give testimony to what you know about. You have been subpoenaed to verbally tell people around you how Jesus has changed your life. How Jesus' death on the cross brought you forgiveness of sins. How Jesus' resurrection from the dead has given you hope and eternal life. Far too often we're like a teenager who takes a phone message for the parent. How many times have you called a friend on the phone and their teenage son or daughter answers? And even as you're leaving your message... You know in your heart that your friend's never going to hear the message. The kid just doesn't, he doesn't mean to be flaky, but as soon as they hang up, usually they totally forget the message you left because they're too preoccupied with other things. I'm speaking from experience there with my grandkids, amen? But God trusts us, he trusts us to relay his message. Amen. In verse 12, Paul admits that it's because of his calling, he's suffering hardship. When Paul wrote this letter, he was in a Roman prison cell. And shortly after writing this letter, the Roman government would execute Paul for living as a preacher, apostle, and teacher of the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ was not always a popular message, especially in the Roman day in which Paul lived. To the Romans, the good news was a threat because it undermined the worship of the Roman emperor as God. The early Christians claimed that there was only one true Lord and it was wrong for them to call Caesar Lord. Well, refusing to call the emperor Lord was tantamount to treason in the eyes of the Romans. To many of the Jewish people, the good news was far too radical because it suggested that non-Jewish people could become part of God's people just by simply believing the good news. There were no acts that they had to complete. They didn't have to get circumcised. They didn't have to go to the temple to offer their sacrifices. So the Jewish people opposed the Christian message because they felt like it undermined their status as God's special people. 
I mean, if you didn't require circumcision, Sabbath-keeping, and dietary laws, the Jewish people of the first century were afraid anyone could become part of God's people. And it was true. Anyone can become part of God's people. To the Greeks, the good news was controversial because it claimed that Jesus rose from the grave. Greek philosophers and thinkers found this idea absurd because of their belief that the physical body was a prison for the soul. They felt that the entire idea of resurrection was ludicrous and laughable. Yet, despite these objections from Romans and from Jewish people and from Greeks, Paul never backed down. He was not ashamed of what he believed as the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's the second way God trusts us. God wants us to be unashamed of the good news, even if it means we have to suffer for it. And that's something you do not see today in America very often. The pastors and preachers and ministries have backed off because it's become unpopular to stand on the word of God and speak against gay rights, gay marriage, abortions. It's become an unpopular political thing to say anything against these topics. In Paul's day, he refused to back down. Imagine if Paul had been ashamed when he suffered for his message. Imagine if he compromised with the Romans and did call the emperor Lord as well as Jesus. Imagine if he compromised with the other Jewish people and insisted that people had to become Jewish as well as Christian to be part of God's people. Imagine if he compromised with the Greeks and just left out the part about the resurrection from his message. Paul wouldn't have been sitting in a Roman prison cell, but he would have violated God's trust. There are times when we will suffer because of our unbelief, or I should say our belief in the good news of Jesus. We will suffer at times because of what we believe. It happens Christian high school students will who's given a lower grade because he's vocal about his faith in class. See it on the news all the time. It happens to the Christian wife married to a non-Christian husband. She's ridiculed and berated for wasting time going to church. And of course, outside of our borders, followers of Jesus suffer much worse than this for their commitment to the good news of Christ. There are testimony after testimony of of Muslims who convert to Christianity, who are then killed because they refuse to recant their Christianity. There's families that disown sons and daughters because they have converted to Christianity. If we really believe the good news of Jesus is true, God trusts us not to be ashamed of it. Amen? Let's look again at verse 13 and 14. Timothy is commanded to keep Paul's teaching as the standard of what sound teaching is. In other words, Paul's teaching about the good news of Jesus Christ is the standard by which to judge all other teachings. Paul's teaching is like a ruler that Timothy can use to measure other messages, to see if they measure up to the truth. 
Paul could say this because he was an apostle. Glory to God. Yet Timothy must hold on to this standard with faith and with love. In other words, how Timothy holds on to the standard is just as important as holding on to it. Faith sums up the Christian's lifestyle towards God, a lifestyle of trust in God. What proof do you have Jesus rose from the dead? What proof do you have Jesus died on the cross? It's in the Bible. That's the only proof you have. God says, hold on to that proof. If you don't believe what's written in the Bible, then you don't believe Jesus actually bore your sins, died for you, and that God raised him from the dead. Amen. I believe it was Romans chapter 2. Paul speaks out against the homosexual lifestyle, calling it an abomination. But if you don't believe that, then you believe that God's word is a lie in that section. And if God lies once, he cannot be trusted. Every word in the Bible must be true. If one word, one promise is a lie, one statement is a lie, then you can throw the whole book away and your faith is useless. That's the type of faith you have to have in the Word of God. Amen? Far too many people hold on to the standard without faith and without love. And as a result, they become very judgmental, angry, and obnoxious people as well. They think they're suffering for their message. But in reality, they are experiencing the consequences of not walking in faith and love. Well, Brother Bob, you just contradicted yourself. You said we're supposed to stand against the homosexuals. Yes, we are, in faith and in love. It's not up to you to convince anyone of what's right or what's wrong. You establish the Word of God. The Word says this. And they say, well, I say this. And I say, I choose God. Not you. And that's how you show them they're wrong. In verse 14, Timothy's told to guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to him. Amen? Clearly this refers to the content of the message. The claims contained within the good news. The good news of Jesus is like a treasure that has been handed over to Timothy for safekeeping. One day when Christ comes again, God will ask Timothy to give an account for how he has protected this treasure, whether he's kept it close to his heart or whether he's lost it. So Timothy is to guard this message with his heart. Yet he can only do this by relying on the Holy Spirit who lives inside of Timothy as well as Paul and who also lives inside you and each and every believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we find the third way that God trusts us. He trusts us to preserve the integrity of the good news. The Bible gives us incredible freedom to be creative in how we communicate God's message. That's the reason for this internet broadcast. In Paul's day, he had no idea that I could speak from where I'm at right now in Baltimore, Maryland, and speak into 182 different countries all over the face of this earth simultaneously. Amen. Paul couldn't fathom that. 
He couldn't understand a radio broadcast. He couldn't understand television. He couldn't understand mass media and the printed word. Every person having their own copy of the Bible. He couldn't comprehend that. There are things that are going to be taking place in our future. We can't comprehend how God's going to get the word out. All we can do is protect the treasure he has given us now. Amen. Be creative. Some people put posters. Some people use tracks. Some people use uh, theatrical presentations and you know dance recitals and things like that. Be creative in how you communicate God's message. But the Bible consistently warns us, do not change the content of the message. There's a couple of Bible production companies, Wycliffe is one of them, that has changed the content of the message to appease Muslims. They took out that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died and was raised from the dead. They took that out of the Bible and replaced it with some other trash that doesn't have the same meaning. They will answer to God for that. They lost the treasure of the gospel. God trusts us to preserve the integrity of his good news. He's entrusted it to us to guard it. Amen. Some people compromise the integrity of this message by adding other things to it. And you can see churches doing this all the time when they get excited and obsessed about other things so much that they stand for that other thing as much or more than they stand for the good news of Christ. It can happen with politics, on the right or the left. It can happen with Bible prophecy. It can happen with worship styles. You see that a lot today. Or a host of other issues that churches can get distracted over. Whenever we add anything to the good news of Christ, we dilute the integrity of God's message, and that violates God's trust. Amen? Other times people compromise the integrity of the message by taking things away from the word. I just went over the, the Bible translators that have done this. Some churches refuse to talk about things like sin and hell because they're afraid of offending other people. Some churches preach people and their potential instead of Christ and his cross. That dilutes the integrity of the message and violates God's trust that he's given to us. God gives us incredible flexibility in how we share his message. But he trusts us to preserve the integrity of his message. Amen? So how we trust God. Let's look at that. Outreach and evangelism does not depend totally on us. As we started in the beginning, stated in the beginning, it's a partnership with God where God trusts us with certain things, and we trust God with certain things. And this text also gives us three ways we need to trust God to help us in our outreach. Look again over at verse 12. Paul is persuaded he knows what God is like. This deep, heartfelt conviction about God's character leads Paul to trust God, to guard what he entrusts to God. Notice the similarity of language with verse 14, 12 and verse 12 and verse 14, that just as God trusts us to guard what he entrusts to us, 
so also we trust him to guard what we entrust to him. Now Paul doesn't define exactly what it is that he trusts to God, but in the context I think it must be the results of Paul's ministry. Amen? Paul is probably feeling a little powerless now and alone. He's locked up in this Roman prison cell. And as we'll see later in this letter, Paul knows that he's not going to get out of jail this time. This is going to result in his execution. He can tell it's imminent. So he affirms his confidence in God's ability to guard the results of his ministry, even if he dies. And here we find the first way to trust God. We have to trust God with the results of our evangelism and outreach. Just like I said, you don't know where you're at on that timeline of ministering to that person. And you're only called to give testimony to, be a witness to, be a minister to the things you know about. As you grow in your Christian life, if you're doing it correctly, you'll continually be learning. And as you grow, you'll be able to share more things that you learn. But you are only called to be a testimony about that which you know. If you are a newborn believer, the only thing you need to give testimony to is how God sent Jesus to the cross to save you from your sins. That he died in your place. And that God honored his death and his sacrifice and raised him from the dead for proof that you are forgiven. That's where you start at. Everything else builds upon that solid foundation, just like we went over in the Apostles' Creed at the beginning of the broadcast. Amen? Because as I said, every time we share our faith, it's like planting a seed. Some of those seeds will sprout and grow immediately. Others won't. So every time we plant a seed, we trust God to bring about the result. One time, one of my agnostic friends asked me why the, all the Christians he knows are so obnoxious and pushy when they talk to him about their faith. My friend's theory was that Christians are just naturally obnoxious. I told him I thought the real reason was that many Christians don't trust God enough when they share their faith. They think God needs their help in bringing people to faith in Christ. So rather than simply sharing the good news and sharing the word, they exert pressure on the will of those that they are witnessing to, trying to push and prod them to accept Jesus as their Savior. You see that a lot. Or someone would be witnessing and sharing their faith. And like, well, I don't know. I, 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 I just, I don't know. I just, uh, and the next thing you know, the person doing the witnessing becomes confrontational and begins condemning the person, thinking that'll basically, well, if you don't make your if you don't accept Jesus your Savior, you're just going to hell. You're going to hell. I'll tell you right now, you're going to hell. You're gonna burn forever. You know that? Your family's gonna be in heaven, you're gonna be in hell. You know, and they're trying to use guilt now to get the person to bend to their theology and thinking. And accept Jesus as their Savior. Instead of just putting their hand on the person's shoulder and say, Well, you have a right to believe what you want. But I pray that God will open your eyes. And leave it at that. Let God do the work. I trust, I, I'm telling you, I trust God a lot more 
and growing the seed that has been planted than if I have to plant it, dig it up, see if any roots have formed yet, replant it, water it, come back, dig it up, replant Because God's plant will grow a lot faster than mine will. Amen? God doesn't trust us for the results, by the way. He calls us to leave the results up to Him. And when you define outreach like that, taking the initiative to share the good news of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and just leaving the results to God, it works. Amen. Trust me, folks. God is a lot better. God wants to see these people saved more than you do. Amen. As much as you love your children, if they're running from God, He wants to see them saved more than you do. So the only thing you can do is share the word and trust God for the results. Just trust God. You don't have to keep beating your family over the head with the Bible. You don't have to keep pounding on them. Why aren't you going to church? Why don't you go to church? You don't need to do that. Just share the word. God loves you. He wants you to come to church and worship him. He wants you to love him. Because he loves you. He loves you so much he gave Jesus to die for you. That's how much he loves you. And just trust the word to do the work. Amen. That brings us to two individuals who Paul says abandoned him. In verse 15 he says everyone in Asia abandoned him. And the ringleaders of the abandonment were these two individuals, Phygelius and Hermogenes. But we don't know anything else about these two guys. We do know that Paul was a, an extremely controversial figure among the early Christians. And there was a whole conservative wing of the early church who thought Paul was watering down the message of Christ. By refusing to insist on circumcision, by refusing to insist on Sabbath keeping, by refusing to insist on food laws as requirements to please God, Paul developed a reputation for being a liberal. I found it likely these two people were part of that group. By mentioning them, Paul, in essence, releases them to God. He says, Lord, you deal with them. Here we find the second way we can trust God. We can trust God to deal with people who criticize us for our outreach. I guarantee you that if you start sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, you will be criticized by other Christians, maybe even by your family members. Every church I know that truly makes outreach a priority gets criticized by other Christians. People say, ah, oh, they're just telling people what they want to hear. They're just watering down the truth. That's why people are going over there. I had a friend tell me that if a church was growing, that was an automatic sign that they were compromising. That was a good thing my friend didn't live in the first century. That's when the church was exploding, amen? In one sermon, 5,000 people got born again. Another one, 3,000. How many churches would love to have that type of evangelism outreach today? When people criticize our ministry for making evangelism a priority, I'm tempted to defend what we do. I'm tempted to persuade them of the biblical basis for what we do. I'm tempted to pour lots of time and energy into justifying our approach to this ministry, that we are totally committed to preserving the integrity of the message. But we want to share it in a creative way, a relevant way. When I'm tempted to do that, 
I'm reminded to trust God to deal with the critics. Sure, I'll answer a question if someone asks me. And I'll talk an honest inquire. You know, if someone honestly has a question, I'll tell them why we do it and what we do it and why, but I will not get into a debate or an argument about it. A few years ago, several years ago, I was an umpire for baseball uh, for little league teams. One time, one of the parents on one of the team knew I was a pastor, a member of this church. And one day he got really mad at me. And in between innings, he came out and started yelling at me. He said, you call yourself a man of God? You call yourself a pastor? You wouldn't correct a mistake like that? I faced the choice at that point. And the choice I made was to trust God to vindicate my reputation. You see, I wasn't just involved in umpire because I love baseball. I was also there as a witness to share my faith in Jesus Christ. And here was a critic. So I chose not to defend myself as a man of God, but just to let God deal with him. And later on at church, he came up and apologized. You know, he just caught up in the, the competition of the moment. Amen. I can't change people's minds. So I trust God to deal with those who hurt or criticize me when I share my faith or when I talk about this ministry. Finally, Paul prays for this guy named Onesiphorus and his family. Uh, because of the way he has encouraged Paul. Paul was refreshed by Onesiphorus, and Onesiphorus wasn't ashamed of Paul's imprisonment, like Phygelius and Hermogenes apparently were. When Paul was arrested, Phygelius and Hermogenes probably said, See, it serves him right. That's what he gets for his liberal message. But Onesiphorus looked for Paul and visited him and encouraged him and supported him and took care of him while he's in prison. So much so that Paul wrote the letter to his friend asking Philemon to forgive Onesiphorus and set him free forever. And here we find a final area to trust God. We trust God to bless those who help us in our outreach. The encouragement and refreshment offered by Onesiphorus was just as important a part of Paul's outreach as Timothy was. So Paul trusts God to bring his blessing into Onesiphorus for his partnership in the ministry. You know, there's, there was a saying going around when the Clintons were in office that it takes a village to raise a child. Well, I have another saying for you. It takes an entire church to reach unsaved people. We need each other in our efforts to share the good news about Jesus Christ. We're in this together, which is why... We see outreach as something we do in worship as well as something that we do when we are scattered to the four corners of the earth there in a week. In your jobs and, and at school and, and at the supermarket and wherever you might find yourself. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God.